What's up? We are back. As you just saw, you need to lock in your your copy of the print magazine. Sorry, my headphones just don't, do not want to hang out with me. But in the meantime, we are now joined by our special guest of the day, Dr. Jeff Ross. Welcome back to America. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, Q and uh, Chris. P, it's great to see you guys. Thanks for having me on the show again. You as well. How does it feel to have been right about absolutely everything? I gave you so much shit leading into Bitcoin 2022. You'd come in and you'd be like, guys, I don't know. I mean, these, these price targets you guys are setting. And you said this in response to me saying, you know, 500K by conference day. It's happening 100%. Time travel, also a thing. Aliens, who knows how it's going to happen. But I was, I was very confident. And I'm here to say, you were right about everything. <laughs> Just first of all, in case there's any attorneys listening, I definitely was not right about everything, but I did kind of get the general bearishness uh, down, right? So just, just, uh, I want to take the other side of, of peace position and Jeff, how does it feel to be so blatantly wrong? about the inflation numbers yeah, <laughs> right because it came in a, it came in a little higher right and i i yeah. thought it, i i was saying we were at or near a peak which i which by the way i think you cornered me because i always say i think we're at or near a peak I don't, I don't like to say we are at a peak. Um, so I think you cornered me and made me choose. So, so you're right. I was wrong. See, P, I, I'm wrong sometimes. And uh, that, that hurts. It hurts my heart. Uh, my pride is wounded. Um, but, you know, you got to get up. You got to put your feet back on the floor again and get out of bed and uh, start another day. So that's, that's what we're all doing here. Yeah, you know, P, to your point, though, in all seriousness, it's hard to be bearish on Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's the greatest asset that's ever been created. It's a once in a species uh, creation. Um, we're fortunate enough to be living in this time where we get to see the you know, inauguration of it and the build out of the infrastructure of the Bitcoin network. And it's hard to be bearish. If you have a time frame anywhere that's a couple years or more, I mean, this thing is, is just going to go to the moon for the rest of our existence, for sure, I think. Um, so, you know, these short term price drawdowns, they are what they are. Bitcoin uh, still reacts to what's going on in the macro environment. And that's not because there's anything wrong with Bitcoin. It's because there's wrong with the way people think about Bitcoin. People still think about Bitcoin as, you know, a risky tech stock. They still think of Bitcoin as crypto. Um, you know, I, I was, as you alluded to, Q, I was actually in Italy. I just got back from Italy a couple of days ago. It was awesome by the way um love their espresso love the uh, americanos they make they're much thicker and richer than what we have here anything i've found in america every morning for breakfast we had like meat and cheese plates which was just fantastic too so i was i was in heaven most of the time there it was it was a lot of fun great great seeing all the sites prize oh i know what i was gonna say i was i was wearing a bitcoin shirt like i always do out in public and i was with this tour group wearing that so of course people corner me nobody knew who you know nobody knew that i was twitter famous uh they just thought i was some regular pleb which is great and so i was just hanging out chatting with people about bitcoin and literally 100 percent of the people i talked to either view Bitcoin as a super risky energy wasting thing that's going to get shut down by the government and go to zero. And then the other side of the people just think of Bitcoin as crypto. They don't, they don't see any difference between the two. They can't understand that there is a difference. And even though I take time explaining to them, they, their eyes glaze over, they get bored. And we go back to, you know, talking about the Coliseum in Rome and things like that. So, so I wasn't super successful orange pilling over there, but I think we have a very long way to go as far as Bitcoin education goes. That gives me optimism. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, you are an incredibly eloquent speaker, uh, extremely intelligent but that 
is not enough, right? There is so much money that is being dumped constantly into advertising for shit coins and, you know, shit coin casinos. And it's difficult as an individual or even a media network uh, as Bitcoin magazine is to, you know, combat that constantly. It's a, uh, it's a bit of an uphill battle, but we're getting there. Yeah. Right, because we have what a, a zero-dollar marketing campaign, right? And we're going against venture capitalist-backed marketing campaigns for the quote great technologies of crypto. And they're not—it's not anything about the technology. It's actually just about marketing. Um, I, I love to say this that you know Mark Twain, I think, was credited. He said something like, "What what is a what is a gold mine? It's a liar standing next to a hole in the ground." And I like to say that basically all of crypto is a liar or a marketer. And no offense against marketers, but a marketer standing next to to a white paper you know there's basically nothing there there's no substance to it it's just who's going to get on the hype train and pump this thing up and and all of that stuff is just basically you know some sort of weird concept or white paper that's awkwardly glued to a blockchain uh, and focused on an exit exit strategy uh, at the expense of the the poor saps who who speculated in it so uh, I have no love for it. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a former uh, altcoiner myself, uh, so I'm not hard on people who do that. I'm just literally out here trying to protect people from doing what I did back in 2016 through 2018. Um, but man, just focus on Bitcoin, figure out what it is, figure out what makes it different, figure out that it's just simply better money for a better world and, and you'll do really well. I want to yeah, ask. I think that's a great. <laughs> Go ahead, Q. What, what was your altcoin of choice? Back then? So I was, I, I mean, I got to plead ignorance. I was stupid. And this was before Bitcoin Twitter existed. I didn't know anybody who knew anything about Bitcoin. Um, and so I was like, you know, do, following some new, first of all, I want, I always like to make this very clear too. This had nothing to do with Veilshire, nothing to do with my investment business or my hedge fund. This was me personally, like dabbling in this, in this space and trying to figure it out for myself. So I, I got to make that clear. So when I was dabbling in it, I had no idea. I just thought, well, Bitcoin's cool. And then like most people do today, I was like squirrel and saw that, hey, these, you know, these, these cryptos can, you know, if Bitcoin can go up 10 or 100x, these cryptos can go up 1000x, you know. And I, I didn't know, and I, again, pleading ignorance and stupidity, had no idea when, when the blockchain war was going on. I didn't know if Bitcoin cash was going to win. I, I heard the marketing that Litecoin was the silver to Bitcoin's gold. I'm like, well, that sounds pretty good to me. And Ethereum, this Vitalik dude, he seems like maybe he's kind of pretty smart. So, you know, and so basically that was my speculation strategy was kind of like venture capital, put a little bit into everything. The difference back then is if you guys remember, I don't know if you were around back then, but on the exchanges, you had to sell, everything was trading in pairs with Bitcoin almost always as the base pair. So you, I, I had to sell my Bitcoin to get into that other stuff, which was the huge tragedy because by the, by 2018, when everything crashed, I had zero, zero Bitcoin and oh, I had a ton so of sorry. the, <laughs> thank you. And it, but it, yeah, the school of stupid, right? So, but a ton of cryptos that dropped then 90 to 99%. And I learned a really good lesson. And then on top of that, because I had sold my Bitcoin uh, like late 2017 to buy these other cryptos that were going to go up another thousand X, right? I, I had I had to pay taxes in 2018. So then everything crashed and then I had to pay taxes on those 2017 gains and I had no Woof. Bitcoin to show for it. So I learned a lot. And I and that's why I feel like I have a real heart for these people that are doing this now. And I'm just like, you guys, like I'm not coming down and I'm not some like toxic dude. Like I'm literally here trying to help you. Please, please learn from my mistakes and don't do this. So is what it is. Yeah, well said. I, I love it. Like, I love he having you share your journey through the dark side and then back to the light. 
Uh, I'm curious for those who are on their way coming back to the light, any advice you would have to help them really see the light of Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, uh, it's it's a couple of things. I think it really just comes down to education, right? You have to know what it is that you own. And I, and I say this all the time, like Bitcoin is simply better money. Bitcoin and crypto have nothing to do with each other. So take the time to find out why. And I think what it really comes down to is answering the simple question, which is actually enormously complex, but it sounds simple. What is money? And going through the history of money and then why, why uh, money is what it is today. Why is government in control of money? What is fiat money? Why does a dollar bill have a dollar's worth of value? Because by decree, fiat, it has value. It's backed by the U.S. government. Is it a good thing that the government is in control of money? Most people just accept that as normal and that this is what should, how it should be. We should look back in history and say, is that how it always was? Does it need to be that way? What if we could create a better money? I would argue that fiat actually isn't even money. It's just currency. The actual money that existed for the last you know, uh, many millennia plus was gold. Gold has served as an excellent stable store of value for thousands of years. So kudos to gold for doing that. Um, but because we now live in this digital age, we've actually been able to perfect money and that is called Bitcoin. So basically all of the great things that um, uh, gold has about it, Bitcoin does that and does it usually 10x or 100x or more better than gold ever did. So gold is just intrinsically wonderful money for the digital age. Uh, and it's, it incentivizes the world and people to do great things and to think long-term and to build wonderful projects and, and all this kind of, we can get into the philosophy of Bitcoin, but it really just comes down to what is money. So I would ask you if you have been, you know, like me back in 2017, 2018, you got wrecked in crypto. Um, many people have recently. Um, seriously, please like take the time to learn about Bitcoin and learn about why Bitcoin is not crypto and Bitcoin is going to change the world and Bitcoin is worth saving for the long term and crypto is not. I don't care if you want to speculate in crypto. That's fine. It's a free market. Do whatever you want. But please, please, please save in Bitcoin. You're better off betting on Warriors money line tonight and Steph over three and a half three pointers than any Absolutely. of these shit coins. Absolutely. I'm not leading you my full bet slip. That would also include a bet on Clay, Draymond, and I have some unders on the Celtics because fuck the Celtics. Sorry. Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> had a moment. I got really excited that I'm pretty sure Jeff Ross watches this show so much that he took my words out of my mouth and said them to all you guys. So I hope it resonates better that he said it. But seriously, go understand and ask the question of what is money. Um, and you'll, you'll never be able to look at the dollar stocks, Bitcoin or shit coins the same once you really go down that rabbit hole the way he's described. P, unless you had anything else you wanted to, to ask really quickly, I wanted to go full smooth brain for a moment here. Cool. So as everyone who has, if you're watching this, you know Bitcoin price is what? below 24k i can't see p's block clock but i'm i've been smashed by and everything uh we see the nasdaq undercutting new lows we're seeing a lot of things give out um i want to present to you jeff the question that p kind of asked me what is it what is the event in your opinion that's causing this just general sell-off in all markets yeah I, I mean i just tweeted this before i got i came on the show it's it's all about the macro stupid it, you know, it's, to, I think that's an old thing people used to say. 
something. It's all, it's all about this stupid. So it really is right. We've been talking about this tsunami that was coming. Um, I've been just blathering on and on about it since January, since I figured it out. And, you know, back January, February, March, I was saying, yes, it's ugly now, but we haven't even hit the rough patch yet. And now I would say we're in the rough patch. This is the soul sucking moments that just people, it just crushes people. Right. And so like, if you've had any leverage in anything, if it's stocks or bonds or commodities or, um, or, you know, Bitcoin, hopefully you're not leveraging your Bitcoin, but if you have, you've probably gotten margin called, which means they come in the company, they're trying to preserve themselves. So they buy the contract that you signed that you probably didn't even read very carefully. They came and took your Bitcoin from you so that they could stay solvent. And um, this is how people lose lots of money very quickly. And you get these capitulatory events where people just puke and they hit the sell button and they're panicking and they're watching their retirement savings just go down the tubes. And they're like, crap, I thought I was going to retire in 10 years. Now I'm going to work forever until I die. Um, these are the kind of moments that happen in these kind of macro situations. So, you know, I the the last shows that I was on like a month or two ago, I was giving people a reason for how I could be optimistic based on what was going on. And my optimistic case was if, and, and you alluded to this earlier, Q, if inflation had truly peaked and then we were starting to see by now inflation dipping down into say the 7%, maybe 7.5% CPI, that would suggest to the market that inflation is no longer spiraling out of control, that the um, Fed would not have to be so dang hawkish, that they wouldn't have to raise rates so fiercely and remove liquidity so intensely. But that's not what we got. If we would have gotten that, I think we would have seen a nice surprise to the upside in risk on assets, um, you know, stocks, growth stocks, small cap stocks, things like that. And Bitcoin, uh, it, the market still sees Bitcoin as a risk on asset, even though it's not. Um, that that was my case for how could we see a silver lining? I will just tell you guys, I'm just bearish. I'm just flat out bearish. I don't see any good news at all coming right now. So. Um, with the caveat, we've had a massive drawdown in the last week. Like these are severe reactions, right? We've seen like capitulation in like tech stocks, capitulation in small cap stocks. Um, Bitcoin's getting hammered. Crypto's getting destroyed. You know, Celsius, you know, is, is on the edge of solvency right now. Things like that. Um, we may have a short term relief rally when you see that things don't go down in a straight line. They don't go up in a straight line. What they do is they zigzag. And so I, I always I like caution people like we're going to see things and we're going to see relief rallies along the way. Bear market relief rallies. Those fool almost everybody, especially if you're a natural optimistic, uh, optimistic person. You think, oh, the bottom's in. I'm, I'm coming back in like, sweet. This is a great time to buy. And they go back all in and then they get wrecked again. I would just tell people that you have to respect the trend uh, among fund managers. And most people, most common people know this too. Like the trend is your friend. Don't fight the trend, you know, not to fight the fed either. The fed is literally trying to destroy demand right now. They've actively said they want to bring down housing prices. They know that they're going to bring down equities or stock prices as well. They're succeeding. And I think that this has a longer way to go because inflation is high. The Fed can't pivot and they can't pivot anytime soon. Um, so if that's what you're waiting for to, to save us, uh, I think you're in for just a really disappointing next several months. Uh, I wouldn't believe any rally at this point um, unless something fundamentally changes. So again, and the, the major thing that I think that needs to happen is we have to see inflation come down substantially. That would suggest to the, mar to, to the market participants that the Fed's policy is working, uh, whether or not it's their policy that's doing this. I would actually give them credit for they are literally destroying demand. They're literally going to bring a 
a recession about. They're literally wrecking people's lives, destroying jobs, wrecking businesses, um, uh, drastically reducing uh, reducing the wealth effect, um, drastically bringing down consumption in the U.S. So their policies are working good for them, uh, but it's just tons and tons of pain. So I, my heart goes out to people who are suffering. Prices are high. Wage growth isn't keeping up with prices. Uh, and, uh, and then to boot, anybody who has any kind of investment is just getting destroyed right now. So respect the trend. I'm very hedged uh, in my, my hedge fund and my, um, my um, separately managed accounts. This is why we have a hedge fund is so we can hedge. We're shorting things. Um, you know, we're up this month because the markets are down so much. Um, but I would just continue to respect that trend until, um, you know, the bear market proves to be anything else, right? It's a bear market until proven otherwise. So respect that. It, uh, look, the, the bear of all bears has spoken. Um, <laughs> we have, we have just a reminder in FOMC meeting, I believe in two days time where another 50 basis points should get hiked up. We've seen some reports coming out of a potential limit to what the Fed can actually raise rates to. I mean, mind you, they're only at, I believe, 0.75, like not even at a whole percent yet. So like we have a lot of runway to go until the three, four percent range where things can get a little dicey with the payment numbers. And you are alluding to, I think, a longer runway for the Fed. What of all of these different numbers that get thrown out at us, you know, we get unemployment numbers, we get CPI, PPI, DDI, LMI, whatever bullshit three-letter acronym they could throw at us to confuse us and say like, actually, this number says we're fine, so we're good. What is, in your opinion, maybe like two or three economic indicators that you're paying very, very close attention to right now? So the first one, I think the most important, and it this changes, it changes with the macro environment. And so it depends where we are. So right now, the by far the, you know, the huge elephant in the room, the 800 pound gorilla is inflation, right? So the CPI, PPI, PPI is not as important to the general public. CPI is kind of like the front facing number that everybody cares about, even though we all know it's, it's not accurate, right? If, if, if it was calculated the same way it was back in the eighties, it's probably double at least where it is right now. Um, and everybody feels that too, like groceries are so dang expensive, gas is so dang expensive, healthcare is so dang expensive, education is so expensive, everything's so expensive. Um, so we're all feeling the pain right now. So CPI is the number one most important number that I'm uh, watching. Um, and again, we need to see that it has indeed um, topped and that we're going to see down, uh, see it get down into the seven. I will say, and I know I keep saying this, that we're at or near a peak. I've been saying this for several months. I still think that, and especially with everything that's going on with, with people are starting to get extremely pessimistic, you know, uh, consumer confidence is as low as it's ever been. Um, stocks are way down. Real estate prices are finally coming down. All of these things suggest that it's going to, uh, you know, again, it's at or near peak, but it should be coming down. The one, uh, you know, stick in the mud, the thorn in the side for this is that oil prices just continue to hang in there and they continue to remain high. Right now, crude oil is sitting at $121. So it just like refuses to come down. Um, if, if oil remains high, that, um, that makes it tough for CPI to come down. So I'm watching that number very closely. That's probably the second most important thing I'm watching because it's directly related to the CPI. Why is that? Uh, why why oil? are oil prices staying up? Yeah. 
So, well, you know, the, the reasons you hear, so the, the war in Russia and Ukraine supply side issues for sure. You know, the, there's a saying, though, in the commodities markets that the, the cure for high oil prices is high oil prices. At some point, people just can't take it anymore, right? Because okay. if you're, look, think about it, if you're like a truck driver, you're, you're a self-employed truck driver, you have your own truck, you might be picking up jobs right now that you're actually losing money. Uh, if you take something, if you take a load cross country right now, because you're you're paying for the gas, you can't. Uh, your margins are just basically eroding to nothing. Imagine being FedEx or UPS or an airline right now, where the the majority of your costs um, are gas related, oil and gas related. So people are just getting crushed, and as that happens. Um, they're like, you know what, we're just not going to do it anymore. So basically, they're just like, I, I can't do this. I have to basically, uh, you know, shut down until oil prices come down. And that that helps to act as a natural um, drawdown, basically, for the price of oil. So that should happen at some point. I hope it happens sooner than later. I'm watching for that. That will be kind of the final deflationary event that I think will pull everything down in one huge, massive capitulatory event. If you see oil go from whatever 120-ish uh, right now, and it drops down to 100 and then 90 and then 80 or something right around there. That will be a terrible moment, but that will signal that we're getting very close to the bottom and we're finally going to bottom and then start to um, make our way back up again. So that's the other thing I'm watching. And then the third thing, uh, and sorry, uh, Q, but, but hey, you asked. Um, third thing I watch, honestly, is the price of Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is the freest market. Bitcoin sniffs out what's going on in the economy much sooner than almost any other asset class does. It did way back in early November. It figured out there was trouble underneath the economic hood and it started um, declining uh, from the upper upper 60,000s. Um, so I'm going to watch that and I'm going to watch for signs that Bitcoin has bottomed. Uh, and that will be that will let me know that I think we're starting to get. Um, and that will be, by the way, we'll still be in the midst of a recession. People will feel terrible. It will be ugly. People will think that stocks and Bitcoin are going down forever. Um, but it will start creeping up suddenly and nobody will believe it. I will do this slow grind higher. Uh, and so I'm watching closely for that. And that's when I plan on uh, uh, adding significantly to my stash as well. I love all of those. And we're going to unpack in just a moment. But I want to remind so smash that like button. There's plenty of people watching right now that will do many, many sats drops. Uh, in addition, Rumble fam, feel free to give us a, a quick little plus sign. And when we get to 50 rumbles on Rumble, we'll also drop some free sats for you guys over there as well. Um, I want to talk about uh, oil because this has been the biggest talking point in mainstream media. This has become a talking point when you go to the grocery store. This is a talking point when you talk to your parents. This is a talking point when you talk to the guy you've never talked to before because we're all in it. We all feel it. And what I have yet to really see, but I'm starting to see indications of is prices of goods have not yet reflected the increased cost of transportation to take goods from one place to the other. We saw uh, reports coming out of both Target and Walmart who have really ramped up their online delivery services, starting to send a sign and say in their latest earnings report, hey, our margins were a little cut because of the rising cost of fuel. They're not going to just be like, oh, out of the kindness of our heart, we know this is a tough time for all Americans and all of our customers. So we're going to absorb the, that cost. Full fucking shit. Guess what? Walmart owns Sam's Club. Sam's Club still sells you gas and they still raise their prices of gas. I filled up gas at Costco. It was $5.89 a gallon at Costco. Um, I wonder, I, this is a very, very speculative question. Do either of you 
see the potential for the U.S. government to step in and say something along the lines of we are capping the maximum amount uh, you can charge for a barrel of oil at 250 or $500 a barrel, like something absurd, but still create sort of a, a salary cap, if you will. Do you envision something like that happening? Well, I'll jump in first and then I'd love to hear your thoughts too, P. Um, I would say never underestimate the ability of the government to do something really stupid at the worst possible time. And so we've seen this all throughout history uh, of the government doing exactly what they shouldn't have done. Uh, and a lot of it's easy in retrospect to, to criticize them, but I think we have so many lessons now where we've seen this happen in, during the depression in the 30s and 40s, uh, in the 70s as well, uh, policies that they did. Anytime you do price controls, um, it's a losing situation. You're always, always, always going to have negative consequences, unintended consequences, unintended from them. They, they mean well, right? And I, I don't even mean to come down on government officials, even though I, I'm, I'm very apolitical. I, I can't stand uh, almost any of this. I, I hate even talking about it. Um, but but the, the policy decisions are so stupid and they're so predictable and they're for sure going to do this. And it's for sure going to cause this whole chain reaction of negative deleterious effects uh, on U.S. citizens. So they mean well. Uh, I actually expect them to do something like that. You know, they'll probably campaign on these kind of things for the coming election. We're going to do price controls, you know, and, and all of these things that they're going to do, canceling debt, um, do yield curve control on U.S. Treasury rates as well, those kind of things. Anytime you interfere with the free market, uh, even though there's nothing free about a market, but anytime you cause more interference and more central control of it, um, it always has unintended consequences and second order effects that we pay for for years and years and years into the future. So, yes, I expect them to do stupid things like that. And uh, yes, we will regret the, uh, those kind of policy errors. So uh, we'll see. I'd love to hear your thoughts, though, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I think I, I agree with everything you just said. I'm curious kind of where where you see us going from from here, um, given those parameters, given that we expect, you know, poor decisions that are kind of uh, focused on the short term to be made and for those decisions to have these longer ramifications. Like, how do you think that plays out in this uh, specific cycle? And I'm also curious, this is, I guess, a separate conversation, but uh, your thoughts on the, the Celsius situation and, and whether what we're talking about now relates to that, or is that just truly a different topic that we can go into next? <sighs> I think it's all interrelated from a macro standpoint, right? Like, so, so it's the, the famous Warren Buffett quote that it's when the tide goes out that, it, that you see who's been swimming naked, right? So, so the tide is out right now. We're seeing who the weak players are, who is actually swimming naked, even though we thought they had trunks on, uh, and there's a lot of ugliness out there. So, um, this whole Celsius thing is just another example of that. Obviously, Terra Luna was a, a super easy example of that. Tragic, but but obviously uh, very easily predictable, at least among uh, most Bitcoiners that I know. Um, I think that this is just the kind of stuff that we see during these kind of economic situations. So high inflation, terrible economy. We got stagflation right now. People are miserable. Businesses are struggling. People are struggling. We're going to watch businesses go out of business. Uh, we're going to see some creative destruction that didn't happen since the last financial crisis, 2008, 2009. The Fed has been backstopping really in, you know, no offense to, to you if you're, a, if you're a crappy company or, or work in a crappy company. The Fed has kept you alive and there's zombie companies all over the place. A ton of companies, even at low interest rates, couldn't even cover their interest payments at very, very low interest rates. These guys are going to have to roll over their crappy debt that nobody's going to want to buy, and they're going to have to roll it over at much, much higher interest rates. 
they can't afford that and they're going to go out of business. And this time the Fed's not going to backstop it. So we're going to see companies go out of business. This is why, by the way, I think that this is going to go on for much longer, unfortunately, than most people think. I think we all have this recency bias, uh, recency bias thing where, you know, we remember back to March of 2020 and that V-shaped recovery where all you had to do is buy at the bottom and then you, you quickly had 60 to 100 percent gains. That's not going to happen this time around. We're going to have a painful, slow grind lower. It's just going to be ugly for a long time. It's going to be um, the, the main issue of the midterm elections for sure. We're still not going to be out of it by then. This is going to stretch into 2023. Um, I'm most interested in seeing how Bitcoin responds, right? As a Bitcoiner, um, I love Bitcoin, but, you know, so it's, it's getting pulled down by all these factors, pulled down by the lack of liquidity, pulled down by the fact that so many people misunderstand it. But at the same time, it truly is by design the world's ultimate safe haven asset. It really is the greatest savings technology that's ever been created. People should be flocking to Bitcoin right now. Bitcoin should be going up, not the U.S. dollar right now. Um, but there, that just shows that we still have a, a long ways to go as far as educating people. Um, I'll stop there. Yeah, I was just going to, you remind me of something, which is like, what's that quote? <laughs> we're now previ we're now fully prepared to fight the previous war. Like everybody is building out these strategies based on what happened in 2020. Right. And before that, they were building, like during 2020 crash, most people did not capitalize on that because they were building out strategies that had to, that were based on what had happened in previous crashes. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. It seems like this is going to be a much more protracted um, cycle. Right. And, and, and yeah, and painful, painful for if you, if you're an equities investor, you know, I, I'm, I, I dabble in stocks too. That's how my hedge fund started as a value picking a stock fund. Um, valuations were exceedingly high, like historical highs. You use things like the CAPE ratio, right? The cyclically adjusted PE uh, of companies. Like we're talking 1929 levels, 1999, 2000 levels, 2008 levels. Uh, um, that's what the valuations were. And so when you start from that really, really high point way up here, you have to come all the way back down to bring these valuations back into normalcy again. So not only are earnings, the denominator of the, so you have your PE ratio price to earnings, your earnings are declining because we're in a recession and the market conditions suck for everybody, but we're at high multiples. Some, some of these companies that everybody loves, we're selling at PEs, price to earnings multiples of 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 or so. These are going to come all the way back down to a more normal level. Historically, most PE ratios are, they average about 15 uh, and we're still a long ways away. So we could see stock, the stock market go down another 50% from where it is right now. And then it would be just kind of back to normal levels by, at that point. So, and, and usually the way markets work is they're sort of um, um, springy. So they tend to overshoot in both directions. So we're way too high right now. We may go way past fair value and go very, very low. And that's gonna be super painful for anybody who's just kind of sitting and holding on stocks. Um, so yeah, again, I'm a very bearish, uh, until something changes and, and I don't know what's going to change anytime soon to be clear. We may have like a couple days, like a bear market relief rally. I, I would not be surprised if that happened like in the middle of this week sometime possibly. Um, but in general, the trend is just bad. The macro is bad. Everything's ugly. Really curious to see how Bitcoin responds. I hope that it responds by just slowly grinding higher. I'm still holding on to my end of the year price target, uh, even though price targets are for fools and I don't know why I always do this but I can't help myself. Um, my conservative end of the year price target for Bitcoin is $50,000 and one penny. Um, and then, uh, but please, please don't uh, quote me on that because uh, I'll for sure be wrong. 
end of the year price target for 2023. So we're talking like a year and a half from now is about a hundred thousand and one penny. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see how it goes there, but, but someday this will bottom at some point, we'll get through all of this. It probably won't be till early 2023. And then it's just going to be like, shoot the lights out. We're going to have this massive asset inflation. QE4 is going to come on when the fed pivots. QE4 will absolutely dwarf QE1, two and three combined. And that'll be when you want to get back into risk on assets. But we're, we're a long ways from that right now. We're also, it seems like a long way from uh, me ever taking off my laser rays, but I'm with it. <laughs> I, support it. I support this. I, yeah, I'm the same way. Solidarity. I said I'm Absolutely. I'm wearing them till 100k, and I'm gonna and and I keep getting made fun of, but it is what it is. Solidarity. I'm absolutely. I'm excited for us to eventually breach 100k, and like my whole identity is gonna come apart. Like, who am I if not a flaming hand with lasers shooting out of my eyes? Like, I'm nothing. You know, I mean, <laughs> this is the Same. fake me that you're seeing now. The real me yep. is the the Twitter profile pic. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, that's super interesting. Let's keep it in the realm of. Smooth brainness and price. Uh, you bring up your end of year price prediction, Jeff. I think it's only fair that P and I provide you with ours. Uh, I'll be a little bit. You know what? I'm going to do exactly what I did all of high school and copy off the smartest person in class. I'm going to say fifty thousand flat, no one cent for end of this year, and hundred k flat. For end of bold year. strategy, very bold. <laughs> That's bold. That's bold. <laughs> I think I think my uh, price I is love right also logic. I lose because it, I can't like you can't go over. And then right. I gave Jeff the okay. You know what? I changed it. Fifty thousand and two cents. All right. Now you trap me. Uh, it's one hundred eighty degrees. <laughs> I don't understand. Why did your position change, bro? What new information has come to you? Nothing has changed time? fundamentally about Bitcoin. <laughs> I remember the rules of Price is Right. That's the only thing that changed. <laughs> Well, as someone who only watched The Price of Right, Price is Right, uh, once drunk when one of my college friends was on the show, you know, I was wrong with uh, Bitcoin 2022. I said 500K by conference day, but I just, I feel it. I feel it in my nethers. I feel like (laughs) this year, Bitcoin 2023, 500K by conference day, 100%. Let's go. No. (laughs) 100%. 100% oh god! What would have to change in the world for that to that to happen? I I can't even imagine. No, I um, spot ETF. Yeah, it's not going to do it. My dreams of well, 500. What would have to happen is we'd need to bottom, and QE4 would have to happen. We'd have to see just a gargantuan Fed pivot, and then it's it's going to go to just bananas at that point. So the trick is when is that going to happen? And it might like it might actually happen by uh, I don't when is conference day in 2023. Ah, you're yeah. trying to get us. Yeah, we huh? can't huh? tell you. Oh, shoot. All right. No, well, whenever it is. Okay. But it could Not happen. too far from, from when, uh, when we did it. It will be in 2023 in beep. And uh, it will be around the time of beep. And the speakers will be beep. That That's and the literally location? all I can say. Beep. Location? Beep. All right. All right. Sorry. I tried. I tried, everybody. Um, regardless all that right i mean short price action is for fools right we, we the whole point of bitcoin is what it's doing and and the whole the monetary policy of bitcoin is what makes it special it's going to fluctuate forever and people are always going to be just like focused on the price um you know like a bunch of smooth brains and you have to not be smooth brain and you have to think about where it's going is bitcoin the network stronger larger more capable uh um have more use cases 
this year than it did a year ago or two years ago? Do we think it's going to continue to do that one, two, three, five, ten years into the future? Absolutely. Like literally no doubt in my mind. And is it absolutely, is it going to be in existence and be much bigger, better, and more useful 10 years from now? Absolutely. So like, if that's your view, like all you got to do, honestly, like we talk about technical stuff all the time. People always ask me for trading strategy advice, all that stuff, just dollar cost average into it. This is, this is like these kind of markets right now that are super choppy and volatile and where the price is very, very low, could go lower. Sure. This is like literally what dollar cost averaging is made for. Like everybody should be dollar cost averaging right now. If you even believe in Bitcoin, just a teeny little bit, then put a teeny little bit into Bitcoin every day or every hour or every week or whatever your, your strategy wants to be. Um, just do that. And I, 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 I can't make promises because my lawyers don't let me, but I can, um, I have great confidence that the price of Bitcoin is going to be much, 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 much higher three, five, 10 years from now than it is today and that you probably won't regret dollar cost averaging into it. So please consider it. <laughs> that, that is the softest recommendation I think I've ever heard you give. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Look, Thank you. This is a thing that <laughs> your lawyers would be proud. <laughs> uh, no, no, but, but I, 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 I don't disagree with the statement. It's funny. The thing that makes me like the only thing that makes me anxious. Well, there's actually, there's two things that make me anxious when the price goes down like this. One, what else can I sell? to, you know, convert into more Bitcoin. And uh, my lady already yells at me when I'm like, do, do we really need this this priceless artifact from our, you know, this childhood heirloom? <laughs> she's like, yes, yes, we do. You cannot sell that. Uh, and then also there's that funny meme of, uh, I wish I could throw it up behind me, but it's it's like, you know, this like pack of dogs running and then there's like a cat that's like standing behind the corner, like, and it's like, you know, arched back. And then the, the caption is like me, you know, uh, telling people to buy at 69k and it's like and uh yeah just i you know having to explain to family members like no hold the line you're fine you have you know you're you're not in any financial emergency you were reasonable when you you know started to uh buy bitcoin you have funds to maintain your lifestyle and to you know cover everything else but people just really want to sell things when they feel like They've lost that. Everybody loves to uh, buy the tops and sell the bottoms. Dude, that, that's so it's that. F Go ahead. No, 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 Jeff, please. But it's that fight or flight response, right? You, everybody starts to panic. They see these huge red candles. They see their net worth going down. They see their retirement going down the tubes and they panic and they're just like, sell, 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 sell. Like I can't take it anymore. So they sell at any price. I'm telling you guys, like for people listening who, who haven't heard this before, and I'm sure most of you had, literally the monetary policy of the US dollar is to print the dollar to infinity. And mathematically, when you do that, the value of each individual dollar mathematically guaranteed goes towards zero. It will approach zero. At some point, it will be zero. At some point, the US dollar will be worth zero. I promise you that. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetimes, but it will happen guaranteed. In uh, vice versa, Bitcoin, the monetary policy of Bitcoin, perfectly scarce. They can't print any more than 21 million ever, right? And as demand rises, the value of each individual unit, each individual Satoshi approaches infinity over time. Okay, so you couple those two things together and then you look, where are we today? Right now, the US dollar is exceedingly strong. It is strong against a basket of other currencies. It's where everybody is flooding into, right? Liquidity is drying up because of the Fed policies right now. People are selling their stocks, their bonds, their commodities, their crypto, their, even they're selling their Bitcoin to buy dollars. So they're selling that, they're owning dollars. The value of dollars is increasing. 
Bitcoin, which is supposed to go up in value over the long run and will go up in value over the long run, is currently way down. It's like whatever, 60% off of its highs uh, back in November of 2021. When you have this, I'm telling you guys, this is like the most obvious trade in all of finance right now. Sell your strong dollars to buy weak Bitcoin because over the long run, the dollars are guaranteed to depreciate and Bitcoin is guaranteed to appreciate. And so it's literally a no brainer right now. And the fact that you feel bad about doing that, that it scares you to do that means that this is the time to be doing that. The fact that it feels wrong and your sphincter is tight and you don't know if you're making the right decision. And you, not only do you think you should not buy it, but you think you should sell your Bitcoin. I'm telling you, this is the time to be greedy. Be greedy when others are fearful. Be fearful when others are greedy. Everyone is fearful right now. Everyone's calling for Bitcoin to go to zero, all these traders that don't understand Bitcoin, or it's going to go down to 10000 or 5000 or 1000 or $500 or whatever they say. Ignore all of that. Understand the monetary policy of these two forms of money. One is actually just a currency, fiat currency, the dollar, and one is real money, Bitcoin. The dollar is expensive right now. Bitcoin is cheap. Trade what's expensive for what's cheap and you will do well. I'm, I'm no, lecturing that was, right now. That was fucking great. Thanks. Uh, no, we're, we're we're in the class. We're in class right now. You are our professor, so don't <laughs> it's the, it's the, I'm just telling you guys, it's the easiest trade of the decade. I'm a hedge fund manager. I literally look at markets for a living, and I'm telling you, stocks are still expensive, and they're still going to come down. Bonds are terrible. They're super speculative. The U.S. dollar sucks, and it's strong right now for some reason because everybody's scared, and they're all buying dollars. You should be trading these strong dollars for weak Bitcoin right now. And it's, it's, it's so obvious and so easy. It just like drives me nuts. And so hearing people on my timeline that are selling their Bitcoin because they're convinced it's going to go down to 15 or 10,000 and they're going to buy it back cheaper. God, please don't do that. Like just think long-term, you guys think about what you're doing. Think about monetary policy. And it's so easy. Yeah. I mean, the risk reward profile is. Off the charts. Unique. Yeah. It's off the charts. And it's like, yeah, I just never understand that mindset or actually I do, I do because people don't really understand the, the, the what's actually going on and why Bitcoin is so valuable or many people do not. But even if you think you can time the market and even if you are right and Bitcoin drops by another 5k and you're able to buy a little bit more, the chance of that happening is so much smaller. The chance of you being able to effectively time that to say nothing of the tax implications, which will kill you in the end. It just doesn't I'm make you sense. for a loss. Hmm? I'm, I'm going to take the other side of this coin because... No, no, no wait, wait. That's a whole different thing. But no, 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 no. P, I'm just saying point blank. Right. If we all of the companies supported our colleague Joe Rogers and didn't force him into signing our bonus checks and we waited and sat on our hands or even pulled in Alex McShane and sold our bonus check once we got it. Wait, wait. And, <laughs> and then bought back. Like, I'm still kicking myself for not doing that. This is all oh, I'm trying to good say. God. No, 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 no. <laughs> the, the point is, that's a terrible strategy. Look, <laughs> Dr. Jeff Ross is, he, he is a professional. And he is telling you that this is not an effective strategy. The ROI, the risk reward profile is just, you're, you are no, much no, no. more See, likely to fuck it up. That's why, like, the house always wins. You know, you, you, you play the game long enough, you're trying to trade, it's, it's not going to go well for you. For most people. There are people who are very good at it, like Jeff, who do it for a living. I am but a humble pleb. I used to try to trade stuff. Sometimes I did well. Sometimes I did very well. But overall, my ability to 
just randomly guess and uh, and figure out when it's going to go up versus down. It's not it's not it's not a game I want to play, and it shouldn't be a game that most people want to play. That's my take. You know what I think the best strategy is for people who just have to trade and they're nervous and they're convinced they know where Bitcoin's going to go. When you have the strong desire to sell your Bitcoin, short Ethereum or short Coinbase, take it out on the cryptos, right? Because Ooh. they ride the, they ride the coattails of Bitcoin, right? So they have more beta, they have more volatility. So when Bitcoin goes down 50%, these things go down 70, 80, 90%. That's how I like to do. And that's actually fun because I feel good, you know, when Ethereum goes down. I don't like Coinbase. I love it when it goes down. Um, and I'm very happy to short that. So do that. So hang on to your Bitcoin, but protect your house. Like, say you're freaking out. Like, I had it. I, I bought it at 60. I think it might go down to 30. Dr. Jeff is bearish. Awesome. Short the crap out of Coinbase when you feel like that. And and uh, I guarantee you'll actually do better if you do that instead of just trying to time Bitcoin uh, purchases. Um, and it's way more fun, too, because you feel really satisfied when you when your Coinbase yeah. short goes Dude, down 70. I love this. I was treating Bitcoin for the last like three months. I've been treating Bitcoin like a leading indicator and for the Nasdaq and have been trading QQQ puts and calls off of what Bitcoin's price action has been. And it's been mm -hmm. a very lucrative strategy. I cannot wait to short Brian Armstrong, also known as Alex Machine's company, Coinbase, a lot. <laughs> Good. Oh, my God. But be careful right now, by the way. In the very, very short term, it's really oversold right now. So it's probably going to bounce at some point, and I don't want you to go into it. And, then, and by the way, this is not individual not investment or trading advice. This is just entertainment purposes only. Thank you. <laughs> this is, in no way is this financial advice. However, I'm going to no do everything advice. that Jeff Ross has just said to do with my own it's personal pure infotainment. Finances. Yep, just a joke. When you have the urge to, you know, sell your Bitcoin, your Bitcoin, just uh, instead Don't. of doing that, just punch yourself in the crotch, you know? <laughs> and then you'll experience the same level of pain because you're a masochist, yes. and then you won't lose your Bitcoin. That's also a Check good strategy. You could do that too. I want to talk about QE4. Uh, yep. I think a lot of people in this space are expecting it, and people not in the Bitcoin space as well are expecting the Fed to have to go back into quantitative easing. Um, let's just say that this is the last quantitative easing cycle. But what does that mean? Does that mean it's a, just a print into oblivion until the dollar does reach that final value of zero? Or is Wait, it is that even on the table? Print, no, no, like I, this being the final QE cycle? The reason I'm presenting the question like this is it's not in any way being presented like that by anyone other than me. Let me let me be perfectly clear. I'm not no one has ever made this claim. I am not even making this claim, but I'm just saying and I'm I'm borrowing from Preston Pish a little bit here. The idea that we're going to start and then stop quantitative easing is just an endless game that we have to play. So for argument's sake, Rather than saying, oh, it'll be QE4, 8, 20, 28, like this is version 10,000 of quantitative easing, instead of playing that game, let's just for argument's sake say this next quantitative easing cycle is the last one we, we see. What does the last quantitative easing cycle look like for the US dollar? So I think we actually, I think we're in the, the final days of the dollar. Um, and, and I like to be very clear about this because people just go off on me um, uh, when I say that. I'm not saying it's going to be done in days and the dollar is going to die within days. I'm saying on the grand scale of history, 
from the inception of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency to to where we, to the you know when it came off of the gold standard in '71 officially and became just a pure fiat garbage currency at that point to now. So looking over this huge multi-decade spectrum, we're in the final days of the dollar. So it's we're seeing we're seeing it die kind of in real time. We're seeing it weaken in real time. Quantitative easing, uh, to your point, Q, we've seen one, two, three, I think we're gonna have four. It's all part of the same game though. It's all this endless game of monetary expansion trying to keep up with this massive credit expansion, this whole Keynesian economic experiment that we're watching. We're starting to see cracks in the foundation and, and we're going to have, I think this decade is the ugly decade where everything is kind of coming to a head. So we have these huge kind of inflationary spikes of asset prices followed by these massive deflationary crashes. And then underneath everything is a stagflationary environment. So high levels of inflation, choppy high levels. We're never going back to two or sub, you know, uh, you know, 0%, 1%, those kind of things that we enjoyed for about uh, 15 years before this. We're not getting back there anytime soon. And so even though we're doing quantitative tightening right now, this isn't going to last. It's just a charade. It's going to last for a few months or several quarters or so. Uh, and then they're going to be forced to get back to printing. Some crisis will happen that we're going to be in a deep recession. Um, it may have to do something with the elections, maybe war related, maybe that, you know, America is just literally just crashing and burning. Uh, and then they're going to have to turn the printer back on again. I just look at it as like they're sort of letting the, the money printers kind of cool down a little bit. And then they're going to turn it back on and just, you know, put nitro in it and fire everything back up. And it's going to be just uh, much more massive than it was before. So I just look at it, if you if you could take a step back, do the 30,000 foot view and look at it over decades, this is just a teeny tiny little blip where we're stopping and we're pretending to do tightening for a little bit, but we're just, it's all on this massive scale of quantitative easing. And I don't know when the dollar dies. The dollar dies the day where the majority of participants stop believing in the dollar that it has value anymore. That's called hyperinflation. Basically, once you're like, I don't think this currency has any value, I'm going to go out as quickly as possible to the grocery store and buy bread and buy milk and buy, you know, sardines and buy cat food. I think I heard you say earlier, P, because you have six months of, of solid nutrition uh, before you die. Um, <laughs> that's what people are going to do when, when your current, when your currency dying, you go out and you buy anything that has any kind of value. Obviously the, the easy answer is to buy Bitcoin. You know, we did the same thing. The government did the same thing back in the forties after World War II, we had massive, massive amounts of debt. We had relatively high inflation and they had kind of suppressed or low um, treasury yields. That's terrible if you're a person and it's great if you're a government. So if you have debt that you can't afford to pay back in real money, what you want is high inflation and low interest rates because your, your currency is being debased very quickly and it makes it easier and easier for the government to pay back their unpayable debt. Last time that worked for a couple of reasons. One is because we had just won World War II and everybody was feeling great and we had no competition basically in the rest of the world. Um, it was the price we paid for winning the war basically. The second reason is that gold ownership was illegal. So there was no way to opt out of the US dollar system if you were an American citizen. You had to basically participate in this and you had to agree that, hey, we're gonna debase our currency um, in order to pay back this unpayable debt. That's okay. Um, and third, Bitcoin didn't exist. This time around, we're in the 2020s, we have the same amounts of massive unpayable debt. Um, we have high inflation and low uh, interest rates. That's what they want to do. That's literally the playbook of the people who are in charge of these things. 
But this time around, we have gold now, which is not illegal. And more importantly, we have Bitcoin. So we literally can opt out of that financial system and all this uh, craziness that's going on in the clown world economics. And so this time, I think it's not going to work because people are going to be like, hey, why would I opt into this debasing fiat currency? It's literally rapidly debasing. We can watch it. I can watch prices rise right in front of our face at the grocery store or at the gas pump why wouldn't I just put my money in Bitcoin instead and just opt out of all this? That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to cause people to lose confidence in the, in the U.S. dollar currency. And it's by the way, the U.S. dollar is the best crack house on the crack street, to borrow a phrase from Greg Foss. The dollar is going to be the last to fall. So first, what's going to happen is we're going to see about 150 other smaller currencies you know, go to the garbage. And that, that purchasing power is going to transfer into, I think, the big three 10 years from now, the U.S. dollar probably the Chinese yuan. Sorry, I know people disagree with that strongly, but I think that will be a powerful currency 10 years from now. Uh, and then Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is going to be the biggest beneficiary of that. But those three are going to capture all of that purchasing power within the next five to 10 years. Um, and it's just going to be kind of a crazy world in the meantime. And I really digress there. I'm sorry. So went down a tangent, a very large tangent. You keep apologizing, man, but this is just all solid gold. Just keep going. Cut us off. <laughs> keep coming in. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested, maybe this is not uh, the conversation for it, but I, I'm, I'm curious to sort of tie it back or to talk about, get your thoughts on the, the Celsius news again. Um, broadly speaking, like I'd be curious to hear your, your overall thoughts on sort of what we can learn from that, what, what it means, uh, whether you think that there is a risk of sort of uh, market contagion, right? We saw this with Lunaterra. Um, we're, we're now seeing, uh, I don't know how many billions of dollars are being affected by, uh, the Celsius news, you know, but there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of money that is in other exchanges that, uh, that are in a similar position as Celsius. They're not the same one, obviously. I'm curious what you thought, what your thoughts are there. Yeah. So first of all, there's like, I was on um, Twitter earlier today. There's like, like, eight spaces going on all with the same topic. They're all talking about Celsius and, and Bitcoin price right now. Um, so I don't really have anything new to offer, but I do have thoughts on it. The, the first and most obvious one that I hope everybody takes away from that is when we, we talk about there's risk to earning a yield. I, I get the need, right? I come from finance. I have a strong desire to earn interest on my investments, on my cash. Um, you know, money market funds, that's why those kind of things exist. Um, uh, you know, municipal bonds, whatever, other kind of bonds, like everybody wants to earn yield. It's normal to want that. And that's what these companies were trying to do and are trying to do. But there is definite risk and you need to be careful. And this is literally exactly what we're talking about. Like you might be able to earn 3%, 5%, whatever on your Bitcoin or on whatever crypto you're into. Um, but you're taking a risk when you give the keys to them to hold your Bitcoin. They can do what they want with that. It's just like the bank. We, you know, we all have this naive view when we're kids that we take our cash to the bank and they put our cash really carefully in a big, huge vault. And there's a dude with an Uzi standing in front of it and they're going to guard your $100. Uh, no robbers are going to get in. And then anytime you want to go back to the bank, you can say, give me my $100. And they go out and they remove that little pile that they carefully left there and they're going to give that back to you. Like that is not how banks work. When you give your money to banks, they're like, sweet, thanks. I'm going to go invest this and do what I want with this. And I'm going to give you this little paltry interest payment uh, to make it worth your while and make you feel good about it. 
This is exactly what the crypto companies are doing. When you give them your Bitcoin or whatever else you want to give them, they're like, sweet, thanks. I'm going to take this and I'm going to loan this out to, and I'm going to do other stuff with this. And I might rehypothecate it. I might do all this other stuff. And then we're going to give you a cut of our profits. And what the, the attraction to these companies like crypto.com, like, uh, you know, Celsius, like there's a ton of them, Voyager, um, there's, they're all over the place. The, the attraction is you can earn high interest rates. The downside is, is there's risk. And what is the risk? We could have a bear market. We could have a tsunami macroeconomic environment that just crushes everybody and the tide will go out and we're going to see who's swimming naked and who really doesn't have very strong financials. And companies look great when everything is going sideways or going higher. But when things are crashing down, you learn really quickly who has weak financials and who's you, you thought everything was fantastic and you thought nfts were going to go you know to you know infinity forever they're worth nothing you guys and so the value you thought you had in your nft collection is literally worth zero and it approaches zero when you get into these bear markets and that's the situation we're in right now so we're seeing that will will celsius go and uh, become insolvent i don't know uh, the other things that are interesting about it, and I know this has been discussed, but some kind of helpful points, Celsius, the token is not stock. So even though it's an unregistered security and people think of it, and that's what um, Gary Gensler hates that with the SEC, that's what he's talking about. Like people think they're, they own this company uh, partly, they have some sort of ownership in it when they own this token, you don't. It's just literally just a meaningless token. Uh, and it's like that for all of these other places as well, Voyager, and I mean, I could just go off forever. They are literally uh, worthless and meaningless. They could go to zero. That doesn't necessarily mean Celsius, the company, will go to zero. If I had to bet, I think that Celsius will actually recover from this at some point. I don't think it necessarily will go to zero. I will say, though, when you get the financial world, when you get sophisticated fund managers who have billions of dollars and they smell blood and they smell blood right now with Celsius, they are going to drive it down to zero. So we're going to see some solvency issues and we're probably going to see some like really um, desperate attempts to raise funds. They're going to do things like forbid um, withdrawals, uh, forbid transfers within Celsius. They've already did. They already did that, I think, about 12 hours ago or 24 hours ago. That's they're trying to survive right now. They're in full survival mode. Will they survive? I don't know. I think probably they actually will, but they're going to be much weaker and they're going to uh, lose a lot of clients in the meantime. So full circle, be very careful about picking up nickels before a steamroller, right? If you want to earn interest on your Bitcoin and you can earn 3% on something that usually normally uh, has a kager of 100 to 150% per year, knock yourself out but just be very careful that when we have a terrible macroeconomic environment and i think it's not going to get better anytime soon some of these places are gonna um they're gonna go out of business and you are at risk uh, it's literally written in their policies i know that what's the big one? coinbase who i love to short coinbase literally came out and said if we have financial troubles we get to keep your bitcoin and you don't get it back that's basically what they, said. they can use that as their own asset that's pretty scary stuff and it doesn't you don't even think about caring or uh reading about that stuff during a bull market but when you're in a bear market that stuff gets really important it's kind of like fire insurance you don't read the, the uh, all the details of your policy very closely but when your house burns down you look at your fire insurance policy uh extremely closely i can i can uh, attest to that because my house burned down back in 2012 so be careful uh we're in a time where it's super important important to be careful. That was just like, a, I, I'm not, not trying to be dramatic here, but that was a, a very, very dramatic, casual. Yeah. My house burned down 10 years ago. Moving on. 
Yeah, that um, was a good life experience too. Talk to us a little bit. Like, you know, we talk, we on the show, we tell everyone like self custody, holding your own Bitcoin, getting a cold storage wallet is of the utmost importance. Um, what does Veilshire do with the Bitcoin that they purchase on behalf of their clients? Like, how does how does holding Bitcoin at such a large scale change? I mean, you have banks historically, you're only FDIC'd up to $250,000 in an account. So what for right now, what does that look like in the Bitcoin space? So, so Veilshire, so a couple of things. So the, the straight up Bitcoin that we own in Veilshire currently is only in my hedge fund. So I have kind of a stash that we hold and, and want to never sell. So I'll get into the weeds here a little bit. Veilshire uses interactive brokers uh, for our brokerage firm. They have third-party agreements with a company called Paxos, who has custodian relationships. So, uh, and um, I actually, and I, I didn't know I was going to be asked this. So I, I'm not positive who the custodian is, but I, but I did a lot of research on it and feel good about their custodianship. So our hedge fund Bitcoin that we own. Uh, straight up is being custodied through Paxos at a custodian that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, that's that. The rest of the Bitcoin ownership that we use in the hedge fund and uh, across our separately managed accounts are actually Bitcoin proxies. What do I mean by that? So in the past, we've held Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, MicroStrategy, Bitcoin miners, things like that. Um, so we own those as basically equities. So those are kind of standard typical equities that we hold. So that's how we gain a lot of Bitcoin exposure. I will tell you that right now, 100% of those equities are in a clear bearish downtrend. So we've been sitting on the sidelines. They're just sitting on my watch list waiting for a bottom to be confirmed. And then we'll get into owning those um, those things. So, But for individual investors, and this is what you alluded to earlier, really recommend. I mean, if you want to er try earning interest and take the risk of that with these places like Celsius and crypto.com and Voyager and whoever else, totally fine. It's a free market. Do what you want. But please don't do that with the majority of your Bitcoin. Please be smart. You guys, Bitcoin is a, is a savings technology. Just get it off the exchanges, put it into cold storage. It's, it's, it's way easier than you think it is. And there's really like kind of nothing to it. You can just be, you have total peace of mind. You don't have to worry about these debacles that your life savings are going to go down the tubes. Just put it in cold storage and forget about it and go about your day. Will there ever be, in your opinion, something akin to the uh, FDIC insurance on banking entities like the way FDIC insurance works at a bank, will there be something similar, whether it's with third-party custodians or with just exchanges in regard to Bitcoin, in your opinion? Yes, but it's tricky, right? Insuring an appreciating asset is very difficult mathematically, and especially something that appreciates historically like Bitcoin has. Like It's really easy to insure FDIC insurance the dollar, which is guaranteed to depreciate over time. That's why it's actually super smart mathematically to take a long fixed rate loan out in US dollars and put that money into an appreciating asset. So if you can do that mathematically and you can swing it and you have the cash flow to pay for that, that's awesome because it gets cheaper and easier to pay off that loan year after year, especially if you're talking 30 years out, the value of that dollar is gonna be down like probably at least 50% 30 years from now. So it's very wise to do that. Bitcoin is really different. It's a different beast. Like who would want to insure that, right? Like if I, if I say, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll cover your Bitcoin when it's at 23,500 right now. 
And then three years from now, it's it's up at uh, two hundred thousand. Like, well, shoot, now what do you do? Like, do I do I really have to cover that same thing I said I would cover when it was ten x smaller? That's very difficult to do. So I think insurance pro um, products are coming. Um, they're very expensive right now, but they're expensive for a reason um, because they have to be. And so we're going to see that infrastructure get built out as well. I think there's a huge demand for that. Um, and people are willing to pay for that, but the price is steep. And so if you want to have those kind of insurance guarantees, uh, it's going to cut into your gains for sure. The gains you're making in your purchasing power from holding Bitcoin over the long run. If you want to want them insured, you're going to pay very steep premiums for that. I believe. Sorry, we're, we're trying to gather some questions from the audience. So if you guys are, are watching now, feel free to throw on whatever channel you are watching. We, ha we are streaming to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Rumble. I'm definitely forgetting one, but throw your questions out. We'll, we'll vet them. Uh, if you ask anything about shit coinery, we will shame you in, I don't know, in a very embarrassing way and make you and your family you very sad. Jeff. I want to get a sense from just what you're from a very bearish lens. Uh, I'm not saying you have to necessarily give me a number, but like what's the bottom on the NASDAQ here? Cause we're reaching levels that are like, we're now in territory that we were in September of 2020. And I'm curious if when we start to break below potentially where we were in March, February of 2020, before that original COVID sell-off, if things start to become really, really scary in the eyes of the Fed and the federal government. And I need to go deal with my dog. So where's NASDAQ going to go? Uh, prediction. So as we know, price predictions are fool's errands, right? Where could it go, though? You almost um, fell into his trap. I know, I know. I mean, you're making me do this, and then people are going to quote me on this the next time I'm on here. So, but what do I think it's going to do? I think that it has lower to go, and I think that so right now the Nasdaq is sitting at ten thousand nine nineteen. Excuse me. Good. Thanks. I had a cough there. Ten thousand nine nineteen. Um, I, I think it could go down another twenty, thirty, forty percent from here. Uh, honestly, um, it kind of similar to the dot com crash, two thousand to two thousand two. It just kind of kept going lower and going lower and going lower and going lower. And you get that multiple compression. So these things that were like we talked about earlier, they were at a PE of 50, 60, 70. They're going to go down to 50 and then to 40 and then to 35 and then to 30. And then in the meantime, the earnings are going down as well because we're in a recession. It can just sort of keep grinding lower and lower and lower. So I think we could see, you know, 8,000-ish, somewhere in there, 8,500 as a range. I think that's actually very reasonable. Um, could it go lower? Sure. At some point, it gets to, the, uh, it gets to be pretty cheap from a long-term perspective. I'd be interested in buying uh, some of those things again at that point. Um, but I'm definitely not a buyer now. Like, I'm, I'm double short um, the NASDAQ right now in my fund and for some of my more aggressive Veilshare clients. Uh, we're, we're using a double short um, like exchange traded product right now to be extremely short um, the NASDAQ and we've been very profitable so far. Um, and I'm sticking with that trend until the trend breaks and I don't expect it to break anytime soon. Totally random question, Q. Or, go ahead, you were going to say something. I, I just want to help people. We don't have charts up on the screen, but just to get a sense of where we are versus that March ticker that I brought up. Uh, we're only 10% away from the high we had in March before the COVID sell-off. So a 20, 30% no sell-off that Jeff is describing here for you guys, 
that takes you deep into that COVID V K shape recovery. Like the chart that everyone who has looked at a stock chart in the last two years, everyone knows that chart 20% from here, you are in that downward motion. You are not hovering above those March levels. So just something to really think about as you see this hyperbolic nature of, well, Bitcoin's down so much. It's like, right. But it would still have been a better investment two years ago to the date than the NASDAQ. But I don't know, not financial advice as per Jeff's lawyer and our lawyer has been slapping me a lot. Apparently I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Jeff. Pete, go ahead, please. Jeff, you mentioned that there's going to be this moment where, you know, <laughs> uh, the Fed is like, and foot on the gas. And then we're going to, you know, go into a QE4. You mentioned that, that when that happens, you know, the asset prices are just going to explode upward. And I'm curious over when you say that's going to happen very rapidly, what, is, what kind of time frames are you imagining? Like, are we talking on like a three to six month time timeline, or one to two year or something even faster than that? Uh, well, so so when will it start? I don't think that it starts until probably like at the earliest, maybe Q4, um, maybe somewhere around a little before the midterm elections. The One of the um, FOMC members, I can't remember who it was, he sort of implied that we may pause in September, the rate hikes. I think that would be um, a positive for risk on assets, at least for the short term. Um, but I don't know if that's going to be enough because they could they could get back. It just depends what inflation is doing. So like I said, I'm watching inflation numbers super closely. Say they get inflation under control and the CPI is back down to sort of 4 to 5% by Q1 of 2023, which I could see happening. Um, by that point, because we would be in like a full-blown recession, there'd be no more demand. Um, they would have succeeded, but it would be at great, great cost, I think, to us as Americans. And then they and then they reverse. So what I would see happening at that point is we get our bottom in. I think Bitcoin would kind of be the first, the canary in the coal mine, to let us know um, that kind of the dust has settled, the coast is clear a little bit, and it would start to ramp up again. I think then we would start another kind of normal bullish cycle that could last for as long as like two years, three years. So maybe from mid 2023 into 25 or 26, we may have just another massive run up again in asset prices and all of this bearishness will kind of be left behind. First of all, people won't believe it and then they'll start to get on board and then things will rip higher and then we'll get back into that euphoric optimism that we were kind of uh, near the end of 2021. Um, that's kind of the time scale I look at. It's obviously impossible to predict that far out, but that's what I could see happening at this point. It will change as the facts and the data change. Um, but so, yeah, so I think that will be the time to be heavily invested again. You know, all of my, and I'll know when that's going to happen. Here's how my, my cheat sheet, how I know it's going to happen. Like I said, I'm very short, you know, the NASDAQ right now, I'm shorting small cap stocks. I'm shorting the S&P 500. I'm short mid cap stocks. Uh, I'm short, uh, you know, lots of things. I'm short, uh, innovation, arc funds, those kind of things. Uh, housing, financials, all that kind of stuff. When all of those shorts stop working and, and I hit my trailing stop losses on those kind of things, and when all of these other like high beta, highly volatile growth kind of assets like 
Bitcoin miners uh, and those sort of things and other tech stocks like Shopify that's down like 80% from its highs. When those things finally look like they've bottomed and they start to go into bullish momentum, um, that's when I'll know that we're probably, we can get fake outs, we can get false starts, but once that gets sort of confirmed that a bottom is in, that will be the time like guns blazing, QE4 will be in full effect. Um, that's where we're going to, we're going to see some just super tremendous gains at that point. And I'm looking mostly to, and it could change, but I'm looking mostly towards Bitcoin miners as being, uh, having the greatest, um, gains quick, the most quickly, um, because Bitcoin is the world's freest market. It should sniff out the changes sooner than any other, uh, major asset class does. Uh, and then Bitcoin miners, which, you know, if Bitcoin's down 60%, these miners are down 90% they're going to be like a quick double and then they're going to be a quick triple and it's going to be just astonishing. So I would look to those kind of things first. Again, not individual investment advice. This is for infotainment purposes only, but that's what I'm doing for my Veilshire accounts and my clients. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, um, a good year starting somewhere in 2023, 2024. It's going to be a good couple of years. Trying to clarify a point I made. So I'm going to be in the Twitch chat in a moment, but we're going to take questions now. And the first one I want to throw out, in my opinion, we saw one of the best troll jobs of last week on Twitter itself by none other than Jack Dorsey uh, announcing Web 5, circumventing both Web 3 and the never even talked about, never discussed, never developed Web 4. What effect, if any, does Web 5 have on Bitcoin in particular, given it's Jack and Block that are going to be developing that? Uh, and what are your expectations of that versus Web3? Well, first of all, Web3 is just a big marketing campaign, right? It's just garbage. And so it's fine. And it's that's the kind of thing that happens in massive bull markets when everybody's euphoric. Everybody jumps on board. Venture capitalists pump billions of dollars into it. And then they get their marketing teams involved. And they pump and then they dump and then they get out and they leave, you know, uh, regular people holding the bag. So I hate everything about it and it makes me mad because um, I come from that industry. So that's what happens, though, during the final stages of a bull market. We're seeing the they're, um, they're approaching their intrinsic value, uh, right, of most of Web3. The intrinsic value is zero and we're watching things rapidly approach those numbers. I love Jack. He's just the best. He's, he's just, he's one of my favorite people in all of Bitcoin. And um, uh, I love the things he does. I love the way he trolls. I love his heart for Bitcoin and he, he has such clarity of thought and he's so far, I think ahead of where most people are and how he thinks about things. Um, he's a true visionary, you know, Elon Musk gets all the credit, but Jack, uh, I think is going to do foundational things that are like improving the world that will improve the world for decades to come. Web five, uh, w w depending on how serious he was or not, to me, that's all just inevitable, right? This is what's so fun about watching this nascent asset class being built out. It's the great, it's the king of assets. Um, clearly, we can already see this, like it's changed the world technology as far as money goes and saving technology goes. We just get to watch the infrastructure get built out in real time. So we're, I, again, I think we're sort of like uh, similar to where we were in about 1996, where the internet was. Back, you guys are both way too young. You don't remember this. I got my first email account in college. I had no idea what to do with it. And then we're like, ooh, I can send a message to somebody and it would make a little noise. And um, when you when you got onto the internet, you had to log on and it made all these crazy noises, like, you know, because you're getting on a phone line. Like, that's about where we are with Bitcoin right now. And so watching the infrastructure get built out and watching this just massive, all these massive use cases get built out where ease of use, um, 
use cases just grow and grow and the network itself just expands and becomes so much larger, so much more powerful, um, so much more unstoppable. We're going to get to watch all of that being built out in real times and on multiple layers. It's going to be to the point where it's going to be invisible. And these things where right now we're talking about things like hash rate and all this kind of, you know, kind of computer jargon, you know, technical jargon. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, nobody's going to be talking about that. Nobody's going to really understand how Bitcoin works the way that we understand now. And I'm, I'm a total novice as far as that kind of stuff. I'm not a technical guy. I'm not a software engineer. I don't do any coding really. Um, you know, the, the people who figured it out five, 10 years ago, the cypherpunks and those kind of people, the Adam backs, those guys, the Hal Finney's, they're going to be like these legendary, just geeky, amazing people that nobody could even believe that they could conceive uh, of something like Bitcoin five, 10, 20, 30 years from now, everyone's just going to be using it. It's going to be seamless and it's going to be invisible. Uh, and, and these days of like, we're going to look back and they're going to be teaching economics classes about how, can you believe it? Like back in the late 19, you know, 1900s and early 2000s, we used to have money that was controlled by a government. And there'd literally be like this group of old dudes sitting in a room deciding on monetary policy. And we'd all sit around the, the TV watching and the internet watching, like, what is Powell going to say? Is he going to raise rates? Are they going to print more? Are they, are they going to tighten? Oh, this is so crazy. Like, we're going to be like, that was insane that we did that. It's kind of like the way in medicine, someday we're going to look back at chemotherapy. And sorry, I'm, I'm, doing a real tangent here. We're going to look back at chemotherapy and be like, can you believe we used to give people poison? Like we literally would inject poison into their veins and try to help kill their cancer. But in the meantime, they were killing all of the healthy cells in their GI tract and their hair was falling out and all these crazy other side effects that we had. It's going to seem so archaic. And at some point we're going to look back at fiat currency and be like, that was so archaic and crazy that we had such an unknowable monetary policy. And now of course, it'll just be like, well, yeah, Bitcoin, it's just completely knowable. We literally know exactly the schedule of, of the Bitcoin that's going to be released all the way till 2140. And then we know that after that, it's just going to be a non-inflationary currency. It's just totally knowable. There's literally no risk to that. It just is what it is. And people are going to take all of that for granted. And in the meantime, though, it's super fun for me uh, just as a person to watch the infrastructure getting built out. And then as an investor in Bellshire in my fund and for my clients, it's super fun to help support and figure out and determine these, co these companies that are doing that best and people like Jack Dorsey and people like Jack Mallers and people like Corey Clipson and the people over at Bitcoin Magazine, all these people who are sort of leading the charge and creating this whole new world order. Like for me, it's super fun as an investor to figure out who those companies are and those people are and get back with them and support them and uh, invest alongside of them. So I'm having a ball with all of this. I think it's just this, just a super fun time to be alive, even though this decade is going to be a tumultuous one. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. What's on the other side, though, we're going to push through the doors and we're going to be in this new world on a Bitcoin standard. And I think it's just going to be so much better than the world that we're in right now with the long-term visionary thinking versus this short-term garbage fiat plastic products, things that break after one use, all these kind of things that we're all used to, prices rising year after year after year year so it's all unaffordable um all that's going to change and everything is going to be different it's just going to be such a better world so i'm uh, super excited for what's next and i'm super excited to invest alongside the people who are making that happen like jack dorsey i love the idea that in the same way that today we look back at <laughs> something like bloodletting and we're like wait wait sorry i don't understand what do you mean right. you go to a barber and they would like slit your slit you open and be like we're letting out the bad stuff it's just the bad humors the, the bad humors you know the get them out of your body i love the idea that we're going to look 
back in the future. Our children's sure. children and be like, <laughs> in the dark ages of monetary policy. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, it'll be like uh, monetary policy ghost stories. Yeah, it will. And I'm totally convinced that it will be. And it's going to be, I mean, I wish I could, don't you wish you could go in the future 30 years from now and look back and then and just be like, oh my gosh, like it's crazy where we were and what we think of as normal right now. And and I think of too that people, like we talk, I, I whine all the time about the U.S. dollar and our our monetary policies. It's still the best crack house on the crack street. Hat tip to uh, Greg Foss. Imagine being in Venezuela or Lebanon or Turkey or any South American country or any African country where their governments, not any, most of those countries where their governments are just literally crooks and they're stealing the purchasing power from their citizens. And they're just used to high levels of inflation, higher than anything we've experienced in a very, very long time or hyperinflation. And they're just used to that. You're in Argentina. Uh, you've been wiped out several times if you're, you know, if you're 50 years or, uh, old or older you've been wiped out, your life savings have been wiped out multiple times by your government. That is just unconscionable. Like, I think that's insane. And someday we're going to look back on that and be like, why would you have people in charge of your money? Like, that's insane. Like, of course, they're going to do what's best for them and not what's best for the rest of us. And that's what's so beautiful about Bitcoin. It's decentralized and it's this unchanging, immutable, programmable money that is just is what it is. It's open source. Everyone can see it. Everybody knows what the monetary policy is. Of course, that's the way money should be. Like, it's insane that it's not like that. It's, an, it's insane that we can just print money and depreciate uh, our assets and then lose our purchasing power over time when you could just have something like Bitcoin that does the exact opposite and appreciates in value over time and preserves your purchasing power over time and space. I'm really going off. Sorry, it's, I think I've had a lot of coffee today. So I, I'm... No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> drink more. Also, yeah, more, more. We're, we're technically supposed to end in three minutes, but if you don't have a hard stop, I would love to keep going. Sure. I'll totally understand if you do. Um, yeah, let's say uh, about uh, 15 or 20 more minutes, and then I got to do some end-of-the-day trading in my fund. Love. No, I, I, I feel that. I was complaining last week about the time of our show because I'm like, you guys make me miss Power Hour every fucking day <laughs> stuff what are life you, is stuff what are you looking at like just so i know what to look at not as financial advice just financial information just not insider information wait are you literally are you literally asking for free alpha i'm not asking for free alpha i'm just saying like what's on his watch list what's on the hit list <laughs> that jeff has to go and look at the chart no you want to know something? I literally have a watch list when I say that, and it's I, I'm going to flash it quick right here. Okay, in case anybody pauses it and tries to steal it, <laughs> I literally have it written down, handwritten on a piece of paper because that's I'm still old school and that's how I remember things. And I have it sitting in front of me, and that's that's how I do my trading. So I break down my Veilshire accounts into never sell. Obviously, Bitcoin is one of those, and then a bunch of other companies that to me it doesn't make logical sense to sell. Um, because they just generally have low volatility and in general, like you're just going to have tax consequences for no reason. You just hold them through. They're great companies that you want to hold during a stagflationary uh, decade. So I have those. Those are kind of boring companies that there's no alpha there. They're just good companies that will do well. My momentum trades are the interesting things. And then the third thing is my hedges. So I have those three categories. All of my hedges are on fire right now, obviously, right? As the markets crash, my hedges are just crushing it. They're doing really well. I've said this already, short innovation stocks, short mid cap, small cap, short the S&P 500, double short NASDAQ. I'm long the US dollar because that's what people buy when they're scared. Um, 
short uh, block BLOK. That's the like the blockchain ETF um, that has miners and then um, uh, exchanges in it as well. And then things like NVIDIA and other things that are kind of crypto-ish kind of things. So I'm shorting that, shorting financials, shorting housing stocks. Those are all of my hedges. And then my watch list, so the things that I'm waiting to buy, salivating to buy because they're down literally 70, 80, 90%. And when the markets turn, these things are going to go up 100%, 200%, 300%, I think, uh, in very short order. So those kind of things are basically all of the Bitcoin miners. And I'll actually just give you so some free alpha for people. Again, not individual investment advice, right? This is just me um, and my you're just, opinion. You're just saying words and I'm just saying words. I'm reading off words off of a page. It's meaningless. Um, but um, so some of the miners that I like, and I love supporting Bitcoin miners when they're in um, bullish trends and they're very much not right now. So I'm not buying these right now, but I will when the momentum changes. Um, I like uh, Clean Spark. I like Core Scientific. I like um, Hut 8. I like uh, Iris Energy. Um, I like uh, Marathon. MicroStrategy is an easy one. And then uh, I like Silvergate, the bank that supports a lot of Bitcoin stuff. Although I'm concerned they're going to start delving into too much crypto stuff. But uh, that is what it is. So those are the miners that I like best. And I think, like I said, you know, these things are down 70, 80, 90 percent. I think they're an easy double once we flip. Uh, and so I'm watching those very closely and hoping that they um, they bottom sooner than later. But I'm, I'm skeptical that they do. Those are my things. And then as far as some tech stocks, I'll just throw out a couple names that I, I have on my watch list, too, that I like. Um, I like Mercado Libre. If you know Mercado Libre, it's sort of like the Amazon uh, e-commerce main co uh, company of kind of uh, Central and South America. And they, the CEO is a, is a superstar. I like him a lot. Um, NVIDIA, I still like uh, Shopify. I like, I like Block, which was formerly Square, which is Jack Dorsey's company. He's, he's doing everything Bitcoin focused. So I can't wait till that gets out of a um, downtrend. And then I actually like Tesla. Like, I think that's a great long-term holding, but I, I, I only own that as a momentum trade. So right now that's in a bearish trade and trend as well. Um, and then finally, I'm, I'm long some like oil and uh, gas companies as well right now. A um, couple that I like, I'll just give two more freebies away. Um, Actually, I'll give three. So two, uh, Chevron and Occidental Petroleum, two oil and gas companies. Why do I like those? Warren Buffett likes those and he buys those when they're cheap. So they have sort of like a Fed put. They have a Buffett put. So when the price goes down, you know that he's buying those companies. Uh, he loves oil and gas companies as well. And those are two of his favorite that it holds large positions in. And then actually, I think bringing it back to China, China is sort of on a different business cycle and macro cycle that the rest of the, the US, especially and the rest of the like European world are on. China is starting to come out of stuff and they're starting to do some easing kind of things. So I think Chinese stocks, which have been absolutely just decimated in the last kind of year and a half to two years, they're actually starting to show signs of bottoming. So I would say keep an eye on Chinese stocks. Um, FXI is an ETF that has kind of the largest Chinese stocks. And then there's a, a small one called Pinduoduo, uh, PDD. Um, I like that one. That's actually in, that's the only stock that's, um, non-US based stock that I own. And it's, it's in a full kind of bullish trend, although it's just getting hammered today. Uh, so we'll see if it lasts, but uh, keep your eye on Chinese stocks. So that's all the alpha I can give you. Um, you basically know most of my, my plan right now. Not individual investment advice, infotainment purposes only. <laughs> I, everyone's making fun of me in our company chat right now. They're like, are you just so excited that he's actually telling you the actual stocks? I'm like, <laughs> honestly, I'm just validated that 
half of the stocks he's listed are either I own or are on my buck slip watch list. Good. Um, I love it. It's love awesome. It. I've never seen you this happy before, Q. This is literally <laughs> like... Well, I'm also kind of realizing like I might actually be able to trade during power hour because we didn't get a follow-up guest for this... today. So. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Let's just say my portfolio uh... needs it because... Do not try to yeah. trade, my friends. Just... Don't trade. Cash don't trade Bitcoin. Do not no, yeah. trade Bitcoin. Don't trade Bitcoin, but like if you want to try to get wrecked and lose a bunch of money, like I'll give you an e-trade thing. Oh god. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so the on a on a real, totally different topic. There's a great question that came up. Uh which there we go. I was able to throw it up. So uh someone asked, how do products like synthetic Bitcoin affect the overall total market cap and price discovery and will these need to be flushed out before Bitcoin can recover? What do you think? I think Bitcoin derivatives are um, absolutely inevitable and they're just going to increase in number and size and scope. So um, they, they, some of them will get flushed during bear markets. Some of them, you know, will, will kind of go away, but for the most part, this is a trend that can't be stopped, right? Wall Street now has gotten a hold. It's gotten its fingers, its claws into Bitcoin, and it wants to make products that profit off of the rise of the next great king of assets. Um, so I think uh, I, I don't get too bent out of shape. I see a lot of people getting really worked up about that. And maybe it's just because I come from the world of finance. I'm like, well, yeah, that's just how it works. And this is just what's going to happen. You can't stop this kind of like innovation of financial products, whether it's whether or not it's innovation, certainly not necessary, but it's what people want, right? Uh, Bitcoin is everything people need, but then Wall Street and crypto and all that other garbage, that's what people want. They want to speculate. They want to, you know, gamble. They want cartoon apes uh, in their folder and, and they, they want baseball cards. They, all this kind of stuff. That's just, that's just how people are sort of wired. So as long as there are people like that in the world, and I think we will always have those people with us, these other products are going to pop up, even on Bitcoin, much to the chagrin of those of us who are kind of purists, right? We just want Bitcoin to just be Bitcoin and put it on your, you know, your in cold storage and forget about it and, and don't bother me. That's not going to happen. There's there's all these new products that are going to come in, especially that you know, they're going to do this spot ETF at some point. That's going to uh, literally trillions of dollars are going to pour into Bitcoin into the space at that point. Um, and every kind of conceivable product is going to come online as well. So I don't get bent out of shape about it. Um, I think it's interesting to try to uh, pick and choose. And that's what I do during the days. I, I, I uh, tease tease out the good companies and the good products. Um, and think about what kind of investments I can put in my Bailshire accounts. Um, and I don't really worry much about it. So I don't even know if that answered the question, but I think it's inevitable. I guess that's my, my base answer and, and don't worry about it. I don't think it's really going to affect the price of Bitcoin though, um, other than to bring in more volume into the Bitcoin space. In your opinion, do you think Bitcoin could have reached 100K if there were less altcoins out there? I don't really buy that argument very much. And I know that people are very passionate about this. I think we didn't reach 100K because the macro changed. You know, I see everything through my macro. I think we were going, here, I got a couple of things. I talked about this months ago, but um, if you look at the chart of Bitcoin, I think when you go back to April of 2021, it was on its way to going parabolic and was going to go to 100K and well beyond that. And then literally out of left field, black swan event. And I truly think this was a black swan event. When, when China banned Bitcoin miners 
and literally banned them, not just fake banned them, said, oh, we're banning Bitcoin. They literally kicked the Bitcoin miners out of the country. That was a literally out of left field thing that just punched Bitcoin in the face and the price dropped 50%. That had nothing to do with macro. It had nothing to do with the the network growth. It had nothing to do with any of the fundamentals of Bitcoin and it just punched it in the face. Um, it was like, you know, the Mike Tyson, like you had a plan and then everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. The plan was to go 100K and higher and then China came out with that. So then it took a few months and I kept saying to people like the macro still looks good right now. At some point we're going to bottom and we're going to make another run higher. I thought we might get there by the end, by Q4 of 20. And I was one of, I fully admit, I was one of the people who thought we were going back up to 100. But then it took me a little bit to figure this out. The macro change, Bitcoin sniffed uh, trouble under the hood for the coming Q1. Remember Q1 of uh, 2022, the GDP number just came out. It was actually negative 1.5. It got revised from negative 1.4 to negative 1.5. Bitcoin figured that out all the way back in early November. It's like, oh crap, things are actually looking kind of ugly. They look, it looks ahead. You know, markets look ahead to what's coming and no, nothing looks ahead more than Bitcoin does. So it figured that out. And that, um, that, truncated the run higher that's why we didn't get to 100k that's why we didn't have the parabolic rip higher um that's what i think and so then when it started to get ugly again and people were like oh you know what bitcoin will never get below the lows that we saw in july this is back when bitcoin was still like forty thousand. and i'm like that is not true like the macro sucks now the macro was good back then it just got punched in the face by china um bitcoin did this time around the macro is terrible do not use 28 29 as a line in the stand it's absolutely going to break through that again and it could go lower because the macro is terrible that's where we are now today right and so um man i do this i'm doing this today i don't even what was the original question am i still talking about the same thing <laughs> i can't even remember where, where Embrace I going the darkness. Over. <laughs> um was i, I going to say anything else about that I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know what the original question was. Sorry, but that's my take on why we didn't go parabolic at the end of 2021. I think we were going to go parabolic and um, first China hit it. And then as it tried a second ramp higher then the macro changed and then everything changed at that point. I can buy that argument. I'm, I'm going to same question, but different rationale. And if you want to be like, I already answered this question, Q shut the fuck up. That is also a valid answer. But what effect does excessive leverage in your opinion have we've got into this debate and discussion before you joined us um i'm curious if you think leverage positions in bitcoin are affecting our potential high price points yeah so so first so a couple things number one don't use leverage with bitcoin please please if you're in the audience listening to this don't use leverage with bitcoin okay only a few people can pull it off and it's not you don't do it you're the chump if you're the one using leverage Number two, leverage is a double-edged sword. So uh, during a bull market, it helps the price to go higher faster. During a bear market, it causes the price to go lower faster. Um, So it works in both ways. So I will tell you that people literally make a living looking for leverage to get built up. And then they cause fear uh, by putting in market orders and doing things. And that's when you get the, uh, the LLLC, leverage long liquidation cascades that are famous in Bitcoin that like, you know, you feel like you're going to die because you watch the price drop $10,000 in, in a couple hours, things like that. Those, those are um, part of what markets do. Um, people call it market manipulation. I think that kind of makes it sound too shady. I think it's sort of people see sort of an obvious low hanging fruit. And so they go and pluck it. And they say, wow, there's a ton of leverage being built up. People are way too optimistic. 
let's cause a leverage long liquidation cascade and drop the price. It's the same thing on the opposite side of short squeezes. When so many people are shorting that, people will look at that and they'll be like, you know what? There's way too much um, pessimism right now. It's gone too far, too fast. Let's cause a short squeeze. And, that, and there are big people with large amounts of money, huge fund managers, way bigger than stuff that I manage. And they do that stuff just for fun and to make a quick, uh, you know, a couple million dollars here and there on a given afternoon. So leverage is uh, another just inevitable uh, inevitability uh, in the financialization of uh, Bitcoin. It's going to be with us forever, probably. But I do think leverage, the use of it will kind of go away over time as we get off of the fiat system and off the fiat way of thinking. We're just all used to it. We literally have a government that encourages us to take out leverage, take out loans and to buy crap with. That's 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 what Keynesian economics is like. We have this credit based money take out a loan, buy a house. We will give you tax breaks if you do that. Take out a loan, buy crap. We love it when you do that. It raises GDP, blah, blah, blah. It's obviously terrible in the long run, but it's great in the short term. Bitcoin flips all of that on its head. I think leverage, the use of leverage will go way, way down on a Bitcoin standard because you don't need to do that. Um, You won't need to take out loans. I think the prices of everything are going to come down to reasonable levels because nobody's going to give their Bitcoin to buy a crappy stock that's way overvalued or buy a house that's three times uh, higher in value than it should be. all of these things are going to come down and we're getting to get to the point where you can actually save up Bitcoin and then someday just buy a house because you worked hard and you saved for several years. Um, you'll be able to buy a house because they'll be priced reasonably in terms of Bitcoin. Um, again, a long, long-winded answer. So leverage is inevitable. It will be used less and less as we transition to a Bitcoin standard. And please don't use leverage if you're just a regular uh, person. You'll get wrecked. And you'll probably lose your Bitcoin and that would be very sad. Dale, eventually a kidney. Yeah, and you'll need to sell a kidney. (laughs) Dylan LeClaire, stop buying on leverage. Dylan, don't do it. Um, Jeff, as as we wind down, is there anything that you you wanted to talk about with us or you wanted to share that we didn't get a chance to ask you or think to ask you? I was a little surprised you didn't ask me more about Italy. (laughs) All right. Best meal you ate, favorite place, and where should we not go? Ooh, wow, that's good. Favorite, uh, let me start with um, best meal I ate is I don't know if you guys are steak eaters, but I had a really, really good steak in uh, in Tuscany. We were in the Tuscany countryside. It was fantastic. We actually started in Rome, went through Tuscany up into Firenze or Florence, and ended up in Venice. I would actually say that Venice was after you get through the initial. Oh, that's cool. There's waterways everywhere. I thought it was kind of disappointing. Um, there wasn't that much to see or do there. It was cool to just sit by the waterways and just check out the water. That was cool. Um, but I thought my favorite part to my surprise was actually the Tuscan countryside. Like it's so fertile and so beautiful. And I'm like, man, I could, I could hang out here for uh, a serious amount of time. Like I could see going with my wife someday when my kids are a little older and just ditching them and go sitting on some farm somewhere and uh, kicking it and doing Valeshire from some, some olive vineyard. We said uh, Italy one too many times, and now the resident (laughs) Italian has appeared on our screen. All right, let's hear it, Chris. Yeah, no, I I agree with Jeff. I was in Venice for a few days. It's good to do for a few days. It's very cool, but it it definitely like loses its luster. It's small. There's like not a lot to do on Venice itself. Uh, There, I had very good meals there as well. But um, yeah, no, I agree. The uh, Tuscan, like the countryside there, is awesome. Firenze is really cool. Um, Yeah, so many great parts of Italy. Yep. So you guys, you guys hung north then, right? We did. Yeah, we stayed north the whole time. Oh, the one other thing I did is every restaurant I went to, I tried their tiramisu because I'm a big tiramisu fan. 
and I didn't have any bad tiramisu the entire time. So yeah, it's good stuff there. Thumbs up to getting tiramisu anywhere in Italy. I feel like you guys have this perspective of like American cities because they're just so large and overwhelming. And I kind of feel like there isn't, if I remember Italy correctly, 10 plus years ago on drunken stumbles around, like all the cities are really small. Is there, is there like, is Rome insanely big and I'm just not remembering it? Rome feels big because it's so crazy and crowded and chaotic feeling like you're just zipping around in your little cars and getting uh, near accidents kind of all the time. The history there is obviously awesome. Um, just fantastic. Um, but I could never live in a place like Rome cause it's just too, I need more elbow room. Um, but I think a Florence, if I remember right, I think I looked up the population when we were there and it was around 400,000. So it's a pretty decent size. It's not huge. Um, but a decent sized city and it's a, and that was a nicer city, like less chaotic feeling and a little more organized maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll say like cue to that. Like it's just, it's a small country. It's, it's very tiny. Like Italy could fit in like basically like New Jersey in the equivalent uh, uh, in the state size. So. Shut up. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, it's long, That's but like it's long, but you could like break it up and kind of basically fit it in New Jersey. Okay. It's not that big of a country. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, it's not like cities in the States, like, you know, Manhattan alone has right. like 8 million, 9 million people there. I mean, I, I forget how many people live in Italy total, but yeah, it's, their cities are different. You're more compact and on top of each other, exactly to Jeff's point. But Milan's probably, Milan's, million people in Italy, the whole country. Yeah. My friends, yeah. Italy is a beautiful place. Bitcoin is Venice. Ooh, wait, I'm wait, just saying, wait, wait, we tie wait. it back into Bitcoin. Uh, I, Bitcoin. Get it. I was going to say, but let's tie it back to Bitcoin. Yep. Okay, I got. Uh, I don't know if we're, are we wrapping up here. I should probably get cracking here. Oh, Bitcoin is Venice by George the Artist, that, that picture too. Yes. Ooh, oh. Nice. Yep. Jeff, I want to give you the chance to you know go do your actual job that pays the bills. Um, thank you so, so much for joining us. Give everyone your Twitter handle. If you're not already following him, follow him. If you want to... if like me, the moment where he was sharing his trades and then that type of stuff was very interesting to you. Give him a super follow because I know that you've been doing a lot of work for uh, sharing some of your trades and giving those super followers some some different access than your regular followers. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me, guys. I always love hanging out with you. It's fun to talk. It's And I'll you know, obviously talk anybody's ear off about Bitcoin. Um, you can find me on Twitter at ValshireCap, V-A-I-L-S-H-I-R-E-C-A-P. Um, if you want to learn more about the, the investment strategies that we do over at Valeshire, you can just shoot me an email. Uh, if you do info at Valeshire.com, it'll come to me directly. Uh, if you want to you know, learn about the separately managed accounts or the hedge fund, uh, that would be cool. Um, I guess my final piece I just want to leave people with, too, is um, I get asked all the time what my price prediction is for a bottom in Bitcoin and are we there yet? And I would just say, first of all, I don't know nobody knows either. Don't worry about that. Quit focusing on picking tops and bottoms because you'll never do it and you'll never do it well, even if you get lucky every once in a while. Focus on value versus um, things that aren't uh, of good value. Right now, as we alluded to much earlier in the conversation, the US dollar is very richly valued in the short term, even though in the long run, it's guaranteed to go down to zero value. Bitcoin is very undervalued and cheap in the short term, even though it's guaranteed to approach infinity over time mathematically. 
it's the biggest no-brainer trade, I think, of the decade is to take your overvalued U.S. dollars or whatever fiat cuck bucks you like to use and put those into Bitcoin while they still have value. Um, Bitcoin is here to stay. Fiat is not here to stay. Um, not individual investment advice, but look, open your eyes and look at the opportunity that's in front of you. And I, I can almost... Uh, 99.9% assure you that you will do well if you follow that strategy and just chill out.